Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey Sharing Network, Rutgers University, Newark, an anchor institution that is both in Newark and of Newark. PSENG, committed to providing safe, reliable energy now and in the future. United Airlines, connecting people, uniting the world. The New Jersey Economic Development Authority. Operating Engineers, Local 825. Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters. We build tomorrow's workers. And by IBEW Local 102. Lighting the path, leading the way. Promotional support provided by Insider NJ. And by Meadowlands Chamber. Building connections, driving business growth. Welcome to Think Tank right here on News 12 Plus with my colleague, Nicole Swinnerton, um, our senior producer. Nicole, let's set up this program people are about to see. Two compelling interviews with uh, former New York State Governor David Patterson, who is the author of this fascinating book called Black, Blind, and in Charge, a story of visionary leadership and overcoming adversity. Uh, David's been a great friend for a long time. He's overcome an awful lot. And also, Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill, um, a moderate Democrat, who knows, gridlock or not, in Washington? Let's talk about that interview. Yeah, that was a compelling interview. She talks a lot about uh, the, she says that she calls it an erosion of trust in government and how all of this talk of we're not trusting in the election, we're not trusting in the voting process is really eroding the whole trust in the government and the whole political system, which is sad to see, but you know, we have to talk about solutions and how we can bring the country together moving forward. Real quick, let's uh, let everyone know how Think Tank is supported. We would love to thank RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey Sharing Network, PSCNG, and the New Jersey Economic Development Authority. Yeah, and also, when it comes to David Patterson, I want to be clear, he and I worked radio for a long time together at, at a different station, and I always say this about him. Politics aside, this is a tough guy. This is a guy who overcame so much, um, including the fact that he was blind, only blind kid in the public school system he was in in New York, Tough, smart, engaging. Um, also, check him out in our Lessons in Leadership program. We did a second interview with him there. Um, you're never going to find, and put it this way, I know television pretty well, you're not going to find two more interesting conversations than with David Patterson, former governor of New York, and United States Congresswoman Mikey Sharl. Without further ado, that's Nicole. I'm Steve, and this is Think Tank. Hi, I'm Steve Adubato. Welcome to another compelling remote edition of our programming. <clears throat> It is my honor to uh, welcome the 55th governor of the great state of New York. He was the governor. He is David Patterson. He is the author of a compelling book called Black, Blind and in Charge, a story of visionary leadership and overcoming adversity. And let me disclose my former media and radio colleague, and we had a lot of fun together for a lot of years. How are you doing, David? I'm good, Steve, and it's great to be on your show. It's good to have you. Hey, David, listen, as I'm reading the book, 
I was looking to see if I was mentioned, which I was not. It's okay. It doesn't bother me. It's all right. Uh, but we talk, you talked about the radio time. You talked about your time as governor. Here's the question. You've always struck me as someone who just overcomes a lot. Where's that come from? You know, I think that my mother, who forced me into the public school system rather than being sent to a special school for the blind, changed my whole life when she did that. She also changed my father's life because he was trying to uh, start a political career in, in Manhattan and got moved to Hempstead, Long Island with the rest of us. So his career was delayed a little bit, but he did all right in the end. The, the, the reality is that there was, uh, you know, I, I guess I would watch my mother and the way she uh, forced the situation, even when I went to my first day of school, the uh, kindergarten teacher, and I didn't actually remember this, but it was told to me, told my mother to take him home and uh, give me a week to get the class calmed down and then bring him back. And my mother told the kindergarten teacher that she herself was a third grade teacher and she would calm her class down for her in 20 minutes. And <laughs> the teacher could watch, but I would be in the classroom. And uh, so I think she just, maybe at times put a little too much pressure on me to uh, do things that people thought I couldn't do. And, but, it, but it definitely paid off professionally in my career later on. You know, David, what I'm struck by, and we're doing this series called Democracy at a Crossroads, talking about how difficult it is. While our democracy, our system of representative government is not working well, post-Trump administration, we're taping this the, at the end of 2020, we've seen in, in 2021 as well. My question to you is, you were always good at reaching across the aisle. You're a Democrat, but you work with Republicans. Are we further away from any sense of bipartisan cooperation than I seem to think we are? Yeah, I, I think we are right now. You know, when I worked with uh, Republicans from upstate New York, and you know, they they covered a lot of the rural areas. And we would have these dinners together. And first of all, I, I would was chagrined to even sit down and talk to them. But then I found out that they had families just like me, that their dream of America was probably exactly the same as mine. There'd be equality and different things that I was fighting for. And I realized that we all pray to the same God and for some reason get this idea. And this is, I think, the biggest problem with politics. It's become a religion itself in that people are more beholden to their political points of view to, to even when they're own, to their own religion. So when a member of their party breaks a rule and everyone knows that they broke the rule, they will find a way to stick up for them. And I've seen it happen uh, on both sides. Is there a place in your view for quote unquote, the center, center, center right, center left to govern or is, are the extremes mucking that up? I think that uh, one of the problems that America as a country has, and we are a great country, our constitution is probably the best document that was ever written to guide the governance of people. And yet in our society, there's some things that we as a society did to different groups of people where there was never really been any contrition. There's never been any taking of responsibility as I think the country Germany has tried to do, uh, because that was the epicenter of the Holocaust that killed so many, uh, six million Jewish people, which you can't even imagine in this day that that actually happened, but it happened 80 years ago. 
So the sin of slavery, we've never had as a country the level of contrition required exactly. to begin a dialogue. And, and instead of tearing down statues now, see, uh, I think that the historic statues, the ones that were built for people at the time, should stay where they are. Some of the Southern generals from the, uh, from the Confederacy, those statues were put up during the civil rights movement. So it was really anti-American to put those statues up. And I'd like to see them come down. But rather than having that battle, what I think we really need is a sort of like a national reconciliation where everyone gets together and doesn't talk about how bad the other side is, but talks about uh, the errors that we have made. I myself have presumed things about people that turned out not to be true, judged people without really giving them a chance to explain themselves. And, you know, and I don't have a problem uh, addressing that. And I don't think the rest of us should either. And I think that would be a way. Now, the disagreements, the debates, they can be hot and fiery. That's but right. After the debate, could you go to a restaurant and sit across the table and have dinner with that person? Well, that happened with me. And a man named Joe Bruno, who just passed away. Who was, ago, wasn't Joe Bruno the head of the Senate Republicans up in Albany? Senate Republican leader. I fought with him when I was the minority leader, when I was the lieutenant governor. And then when I was the governor, we were, you know, two of the three so-called men in a room. But it never threatened our personal relationship. And that personal relationship helped us to understand why the other felt the way they did. And uh, so kudos to... Joe, who uh, just lost his life at 91 a couple of uh, months ago. And to those who still think that we can um, bitterly disagree about certain things, but at least have the respect for each other to sit across the table and, and have the, that conversation. But if something were to happen to the other person as an individual, you're right there because you're their colleague, you're probably their friend, and you need to, uh, to reach out to their family. To what degree do you think people underestimated you and your political ability and your acumen and your effectiveness um, because of your disability? Well, I think that uh, the reason I wrote Black, Blind, and In Charge is because the label, just the fact that I was black, caused a lot of people in the media to say that I was an accidental governor. What's an accident about the This is after Elliot Spitzer. Go yeah, ahead. you're second in charge. And uh, lieutenant the governor. Other, lieutenant governor, the governor resigns, you become the governor. That happened, by the way, uh, in the last 50 years in this country, it's happened 21 times. So why did, when I became the governor as a result of this, that uh, all of a sudden it was some sort of a problem? Then I had made a statement that we're going to be rebuilding at the World Trade Center. I remember. We started rebuilding, but there was nothing that was finished. So the media goes down and takes pictures of it and says, you should take the governor down there and let him touch the building so he can see we're building, which I thought was a slanderous, nasty remark well, uh, about the fact that I'm blind, that I didn't see that the buildings were being built. And so having a deal with a lot of these side issues uh, did uh, inhibit at times my ability to govern, but we were able to close $40 billion of deficit in, in uh, 36 months in 33 months, and I think that put New York on uh, on the road to recovery. And Governor Andrew Cuomo, in his inauguration speech in 2011, thanked me for doing that, and sure uh, did. And it sure made me feel better after some of the grief that I went through with uh, some of the other legislators and the 
special interests and the, 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 those who didn't recognize that we had a crisis. Uh, um, I'm going to ask David Patterson, the governor, the 55th governor of the great state of New York, the Empire State, if you will, even though we're the Garden State. I know that David loves the Garden State, but he's I an do. Empire State. But, but, but they had my character saying on Saturday Night Live is totally uh, preposterous. I, I love New Jersey. We will talk about that. By the way, David's going to stay with us because he'll be on our Lessons in Leadership program. Um, but I want to thank you, David, for joining us. I, I am Steve Adubato. And right after Dave, we'll come back with another compelling segment. We'll be right back. To see more Think Tank with Steve Adubato programs and to listen to Think Tank with Steve Adubato, the podcast, visit us online at steveadubato.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. If you need to see a doctor, RWJ Barnabas Health has two easy ways to do it from anywhere. You can see an urgent care provider 24-7 on any device with our Telemed app. Or use our website to book a virtual visit with an RWJ Barnabas Health medical group provider or specialist, even as a new patient. You've taken every precaution, and so have we. So don't delay your care any longer. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. We are honored once again to be joined by United States Congresswoman Mikey Sharp from the 11th Congressional District, Essex, Morris, Passaic, and Sussex County. Congresswoman, great to have you with us again. Well, thanks for having me back, Steve. So let me ask you this. We're doing a series simply called Democracy at a Crossroads. It's a mini-series within all of our different programs. You'll see the graphic on the bottom of the screen. Is, in your opinion, as we tape on the 8th of December, be seen later, is democracy, quote-unquote, at a crossroads, and what does that mean to you? I think democracy is at a crossroads, uh, but I, in some ways, democracy is always at a crossroads because it is a government of and by the people. Um, and as we move forward, we're always facing new challenges, but certainly now with the pandemic, with some of the ways I think uh, President Trump has undermined our democratic norms, some work we have to do to rebuild the strength of our democracy, I do think we're at a crossroads. What impact do you actually believe the Trump presidency has had on specifically, precisely, people's trust in the institutions of government and the way democracy is supposed to work? Yeah, well, I think we've seen an erosion of trust in our government. Um, in fact, it's easy to get frustrated with all of the ways in which we feel um, we're not moving forward in, in a way we'd like to. But even with the coronavirus pandemic, I know people are frustrated. I'm frustrated we haven't gotten the second round of CARES Act funding. But we did act so quickly in Congress and, and in the country and government to pass the first round of CARES Act funding. We did better than really any nation on earth in addressing the economic concerns of the pandemic. But in other areas, there are ways in which over time, some of our democratic norms have been undermined. I often think that my generation hasn't done the best job because I grew up during the Cold War. And I have to tell you, Steve, it was so obvious how important democracy was. All you had to do was look at the Soviet Union, look at the freedoms that people there did not have. Um, speaking out against the government would result in being sent to Siberia. Um, you couldn't travel. You couldn't go see family beyond the Iron Curtain. You couldn't worship how you wanted to worship. 
you just couldn't really live um, an independent free life in the way you could in our country. And so, so obvious. And I'm not sure we've correctly made the next generation understand how critical our democratic values are. And so I think when this president um, has worked to undermine some of those values, when he sent unmarked federal um, law enforcement onto the streets to pick up people without an arrest warrant, I'm not sure everyone sees like I do the parallels to some of um, what was going on under Pinochet. When we have a president who um, tries to undermine his political opponent, Joe Biden, by having a foreign power dig up dirt on him. I'm not sure everybody saw the the attack on our democratic values and how critical it is that we have free and fair elections that I saw. Congresswoman, hold that point right there. I'm going to challenge you in this way. Devil's advocate, you ready? Some of my friends were big supporters of Trump. Many in your district supporters of President Trump at the time, the president right now. Here's the response. Stop. Everybody does it. Oh, Steve, you're right. It's heartbreaking to me. And Congresswoman, I don't know how to respond. I, I always respond with, with no. I, I mean, we've had um, discussions about this with chiefs of staff going back to Ronald Reagan. Nobody does this. Um, and and there, there are opportunities for them to have done this. Other presidents who were offered... Um, you know, information from foreign countries on their opponent. And they refused that. They considered it. Certainly, you know, they were looking at it to see if they thought it was ethical, and they decided it wasn't. That our democratic institutions, that our democratic elections were far more important than that. And I think um, we have got to get that same sense of service to country back into the political process. So, uh, by the way, uh, Congresswoman's, uh, Congresswoman Cheryl's military service, I imagine, I don't know this, um, influences her view on this. And I'm not sure, but I think she told me in the past that why she chose to serve is part of why what she just explained. That being said, so many of the people in your district did vote for Donald Trump. Um, 73 plus million Americans voted for Donald Trump, the most that any incumbent president uh, received. Obviously, Joe Biden got 80 million votes. What do you say to so many Trump supporters who, as we move into the Biden president, say, sorry, not my president, rigged? I'm not saying it's half of your district, but it's a good chunk. Say it's 35 to 40 percent. What do you say to them? That well, they don't is... accept Biden as the president. Well, again, this to me is why we have work to do um, on our democratic norms, on people's understanding of the process and why we can have faith in our democratic elections. Because we should never have people in this country doubting the democratic elections. You can choose a different president. It's a democracy. We have that opportunity and that right. But once the election is over, every single American should feel that the election was run fairly and the decision was fair. They might not like the decision. I, you know, I've lived long enough to not like every decision. 2016, a lot of process. Democrats didn't like the outcome. Sorry, in 2016, yeah. you may have been one of them, didn't like the outcome. Donald Trump was the president, no doubt about it. Right. He beat right. Hillary Clinton. Yes. And, and, and I, you know, I, I had been in that situation before where I had supported a different person for president. 
And, you know, as, as somebody who is, is on the, the side that, that has suffered a loss at the polls, you look for then the pathways you can move forward and support the new president. I was hopeful we could get infrastructure done under President Trump's administration. I was looking for those pathways where we might have common ground. Can we even agree? You know, um, we have former Senator uh, Kevin O'Toole joining us today to talk about who's also the chair of the Port Authority. Talking, he has an article that he wrote on the problem with the two extremes that the folks on the extremes in your party, in the Democratic Party, and in the Republican Party actually don't really want to get a lot of stuff done, don't want to compromise, don't want to move forward. Is that part of the problem in Congress where you are? Not Take voters out of it for a second. Here's my question. Is there as much polarization and out here in Congress to the point where getting the most basic things done for veterans whom you care about so much, much infrastructure, the gateway tunnel, uh, a, a bill that supports people during COVID. Is everyone just saying, I'm here, I don't have to get together and work anything out because it's not in my interest? You know, I, I find that um, there are areas where you really can get stuff done. So for example, where? I sit on the House Armed Services Committee. We're about to pass the National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, we passed that out of committee, um, you know, a, a committee run by Democrats and Republicans. We passed this, that out of committee with a unanimous vote. Um, we worked very hard. Uh, there were, you know, many, many things in that bill. It's a huge uh, authorization bill to support our military to move forward in a better way. There were things well, I Well, Mitch McConnell supported in the Senate. Mitch McConnell supported the Senate. It's okay. been through conference. Okay. The Senate will Got pass it. that. Um, we may have a veto by the president because he wanted to add some things into it that I really, that hadn't been through committee, that hadn't even been discussed until a week ago. So, um, but but we passed it. We'll pass it through the Senate. We'll pass it through the House. It's a big bipartisan piece of legislation. Um, we, we need to push through more things like that. Unfortunately, sometimes um, we need to realize what a deliberative legislative body does. What we do, and, and this is the system of government our founding fathers chose, it's the system of government I have faith in, because we go and we hash out all the different ideas and we come to compromises on where we can all get the broadest agreement, where we think it's best to move our country. That's how the body works. It's, you know, there are often pieces of legislation that if I, if Mikey Sherrill wrote that piece of legislation, it would look different. But I'm very proud of what I was able to get done on different right. measures. We have to understand that because we can't we can't just come to a standstill because we don't agree on every uh, every phrase in the legislation. Let me ask you this: Joe Biden will be the president as we tape this program. He's the president-elect. This will be seen in the first quarter of 2021. How do you actually believe his interaction with Congress? And again, we're taping on the 8th of December. What happens in Georgia with two United States Senate races will have a huge impact on whether the Republicans control the Senate, the Democrats do control the House, or whether the Democrats, in fact, have a 50-50 split in the Senate, which would mean the vice president, Kamala Harris, would be the 51st vote for Democrats. We don't know. But assume for a second it's split government. Democrats in the Senate, excuse me, Democrats in the House, Republicans in the Senate. Joe Biden, been in the legislature, been in the Senate. What kind of leadership do you think he would provide that would be different from a policy point of view, dealing with Congress. Joe Biden has said, and, and I think his record shows, that he's a uniter, that he's somebody that wants to bring people together. Uh, he wants to work to get um, 
to, to make sure that we get the best we can done for the American people. Uh, if you just watched the convention, you saw how many times he spoke of uniting the country, of bringing people together. He said numerous times he's going to be a president for everyone, not just people who support him. I'm hoping that that means, and I think that means, that he will be very willing to work with Congress, to work with a divided Congress if we have that, um, to get to uh, agreement on legislation we need to pass for the American people. Yeah. You know, I was watching a debate the other day. This will be old news, but it was a debate between uh, the incumbent senator in Georgia, uh, Kelly uh, Loeffler, I think her name is, mm -hmm. um, against the Democratic candidate who I believe is the minister at the Abyssinian Baptist Church where Dr. King did his work and made a difference. Um, she kept calling him, she's a Republican, he's a Democrat. This isn't about that race, it's about something bigger and I want you to respond to it. The radical, socialist, left-wing, dangerous, is that who you are? Is that who the Democrats are? Is that what we're supposed to be afraid of in our country? You know, Steve, that is not who we are. And that kind of rhetoric, I think, undermines what we could get done in Congress. Because what it does is um, it's fear-mongering. It scares people uh, in districts. If, if somebody in leadership is saying that someone is an extremist and scary and you should be afraid of them, it scares uh, people in the district. And then you try to go back and legislate and, and they don't want to do anything with the other side. Because well, excuse me, you do have some left-wing Democrat, I shouldn't say left-wing, very progressive, bordering on socialists. Some say, yeah, I am a socialist. They're part of your party. But we aren't socialists, we're Democrats. I have to tell you, as I mentioned, I grew up during the Cold War. I don't believe in socialism. I don't think it's good government. Um, I, I, I am very proudly not a socialist. The majority of my party is not, people aren't socialists. Joe Biden is not a socialist. You look at the cabinet Joe Biden is working on. They're not socialists. Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi is not a socialist. <laughs> I, I, you know, that's not who we are as Democrats. Yeah. And I think the, the constant fear-mongering makes it really difficult when Republicans then do want to work with Democrats to come to those agreements because mm. suddenly everyone back at home is thinking, why are you working with them? They're you said they were crazy. Why are you working with them? Yeah. So I, I really, I've heard that too. I'll, I'll tell you, um, you know, I think it acts to divide us in an incredibly unhealthy way. We can have disagreements about economics or policies or how we think the legislation should be written, but to try to to paint anybody who doesn't share your political beliefs as somebody who is trying to undermine this country or somebody who's who less American, of, who's, who's less, less American. American. I mean, we're in a, this is again, Imagine saying that about you with the service. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so important. We've chosen yeah. democracy in this country because yeah. we want to hear different points of view. Yeah. Hey, 20 seconds on this democracy at a crossroads. Where's the silver lining? Please give it to us. Give us reason to be hopeful, Congresswoman. I think crossroads are, are really opportunities. And I think maybe, um, like I said, I, I didn't realize maybe some of the ways people didn't understand how incredibly important our democratic norms are. Um, I think we have opportunities to show the American people how we can lead in government, to rebuild faith in our government. Because I have to tell you, Steve, as I'm moving forward and all the things I need to work on, I, we need to get the Gateway Tunnel funded. We need to get rid of the state and local tax deduction cap. We need to make sure we get health care to everyone and they can afford it and they can afford their prescription drugs. But when, we're, when you're talking 
about these huge issues, people are not going to support you on those if they don't think government can do it well. So we need to show the American people um, that we can govern, that we can lead. And I'll tell you, one area where I think the American people can be very proud is the CARES Act. Is the CARES Act. The CARES Act. The first time. The first CARES Act. As we tape, Congresswoman, I got to let you go, but we will see what happens. Fingers crossed that there's another round, correct? Yeah, if I have any anything to do with it, there will be another round. Thank, yeah, that is correct, Steve. That is United States Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill, um, happens to be a neighbor of mine. Uh, you don't see her much because she's either in Washington or running around. How many kids do you have again? I have four kids, a lot of homeschooling. <laughs> yes, multitasking is the word for 2021 again. Congresswoman, all the best to you and your family. You too, thanks so much. You got it. I'm Steve Adubato. Thank you so much for watching. To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by RWJ Barnabas Health, New Jersey Sharing Network, Rutgers University, Newark, PSENG, United Airlines, the New Jersey Economic Development Authority, Operating Engineers, Local 825, Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters, and by IBEW Local 102. Promotional support provided by Insider NJ and by Meadowlands Chamber. If you need to see a doctor, RWJ Barnabas Health has two easy ways to do it from anywhere. You can see an urgent care provider 24-7 on any device with our Telemed app. Or use our website to book a virtual visit with an RWJ Barnabas Health Medical Group provider or specialist, even as a new patient. You've taken every precaution, and so have we. So don't delay your care any longer. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together.